Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, and I have a cool guest today, Hank Barr. You may have heard of him, but he is with a band called Three Beards, and they've been on Austin Southwest Music Festival. They've been all over the place, so you may have heard him. But the cool thing is, Hank is a veteran. Not only is he a veteran of the Marine Corps, then he got smart and joined the Army, <laughs> and he was a medic. He was a medic at the same time that I was in Iraq. A lot of us were during the initial push in 2003, 2004. He was doing the dust off. So when soldiers got hurt, they came in the helicopters, packed them up and got them out of there. Saved so many lives. But Hank got back and he was not doing so hot. He was having some problems. He decided to try to hurt himself. And then he woke up. And he found his purpose. Now, we talk about finding your purpose, but that's what we're going to talk with Hank about. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. I touched on it just a little bit about you, you went in the Marine Corps, and then you realized the Marine Corps is a cult, and then you joined well, the military. Well, you, well, actually, it actually started when I was in high school. I got into a fight in high school, and my dad drove me to the Army recruiting office in San Marcos which was 40 minutes from the house. And he dropped me off. He said, don't give him a ride home until he signs something. So I joined the Army Reserves first. And I was in the Army Reserves for a while. I ended up out of high school, going to college and playing football. So the Reserves let me out. But my freshman year in college, I met some Marine recruiter. And he tricked me into going off and uh, being a Marine, which was cool. I had a good time. I was a terrible Marine. I had a pogue job. Uh, and then I got out of the Marines and Ended up joining the Army, going to the 82nd Airborne Division, spending uh, a lot of time in the 325. And then I got selected for f the flight medic course, and I got to go and do the flight school at Fort Rucker and went to Korea. As soon as I came back, 9-11 happened. And then Iraq happened, or Afghanistan happened, and I did that until I got hurt. And when I got hurt, I got out and did a bunch of things. And I have a degree in special education. So I went and I was a special education teacher, and I coached football degree in psychology. So I, I tried a bunch of stuff and I couldn't really get myself right, you know, and that was still, I mean, you said you were in Iraq at the same time as me, right? Yeah, I, I've been to Iraq. I was in there 2003, 2004, and then Afghanistan later, a few years later. So yeah, that was watching the helicopters come in. I was to the west of Baghdad and they'd, we'd have folks dropping off and picking up and taking off and like it must be a lot cooler on those aircraft but then they said no no it's just as hot it's just higher oh no they were lying to you bro because we i remember we would take socks and get them wet and put our water bottles in them and hang those things out the windows while we were flying in the helicopters they would get cold so yeah was, i figured they were lying that way that people don't hop on and just cruise around plus you got 150 knots of wind in your hair but yeah they they knock those things down so it's it's not really something I'd want to just be cruising around on. When I was there, we were really lucky because they hadn't figured out 
how to uh, outsmart our, our pilots. Blackhawks are really susceptible to spinning and getting shot. Like you watch Blackhawk down, it spins around in a circle. Well, that's because they were having to hold hover. You know, they were kind of sitting in the same spot. Well, we were zipping 150 knots, 50 feet off the ground. You know, and we're going at night with no lights on. So by the time they hear us, we're a quarter mile away. And so you look, look behind you and you just see the tracers up there. You know, it's like they're just shooting at nothing because we're already gone. You know, that reminds me of a saying that we had, which was speed saves lives because they were just learning how to do IEDs. They didn't do the timing right. They're trying to do a cell phone or command detonated. And they weren't really good at getting the timing down since it was relatively new. And so we would change speeds and change lanes like going through a tunnel or a bridge or an overpass and change and slow down or we go speed saves lives because it's a lot harder to get that timer exactly right when you're going 100 miles an hour. But just like anything else, they figured out, you know, and the longer that the the wars keep going, the more lethal the insurgencies become. So I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore, for sure. It's a lot more fun making records and making movies. Uh, So let's talk about that. Back in 2011, I believe it was, you're kind of at a low point. And you mm -hmm. talked about your football coach, your special ed teacher. Sounds like you had a career path forward. And let me tell you, I actually got to coach in a state championship game as a coordinator. I was a successful high school football coach. And in 2011, my little brother, was, he was in the Air Force and he killed himself. He killed somebody and then he killed himself. And for some reason, that was just the last little trigger that I needed, you know. And I asked my wife to take the kids and I did everything I could for that three or four weeks before then to try to get her to hate me because I was going to kill myself. And I hit a telephone pole in Fayetteville, North Carolina, going 60 miles an hour. I hit it so hard that it knocked the telephone pole next to it fell down too. And it split my truck in two and knocked power out to like 800 people for like three hours. So like really selfish act, you know, but at the time it didn't feel like a selfish act. At the time it felt like it was the most courageous thing that I could do because I was going to stop causing problems for my family. My kids were young enough that they're still going to remember their daddy being cool and they're going to get some money. So it was a heroic, brave thing. And it doesn't matter that they're going to hate me, but that's where my brain was at the time. And the only person that's there, a lot of folks get to that point. And, and that's why I'm not afraid to tell people that I was there because I feel like I'm doing pretty well now. You know, and when that was going on, I thought that there was nothing that could happen that could fix this. But what ended up happening, it actually worked out pretty good because I got, I was hurt. So I broke my neck. I was a CPR survivor. So I broke my sternum, a bunch of ribs. Like I was in bad shape. Hear that crashing into telephone poles at 60 miles an hour will do that. Well, I gave myself a massive right side diaphragmatic hernia. It's usually a, a, a mortal wound, you know, but for some reason it didn't kill me. So I say that it was the hand of God that stopped me, but he was really upset with me. So he slapped the hell out of me. (laughs) Uh, But when I woke up, I remember just thinking, thank God, I'm not dead. Like I wanted to die so bad. But when I woke up, it was just like, thank God, I don't ever want this to happen again. You know, I saw a YouTube video of a guy that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge or one of those big bridges. And he said the same thing. And he was one of the few people that survived. And he said that the second his foot came off that ledge and he saw the ground, he thought, oh my God, what have I done? And so when I woke up and I was the worst patient in the world, I was in the hospital for about eight days, but the VA made somebody come stay at my house with me, a caregiver. And she was this punk rock girl, you know, and I was just like folk guitar, like just, I'm an old dude. I'm just playing folk guitar and, you know, piano stuff. And 
And so she started dra- dragging me out to these music scene there in Fayetteville. And there's all these young kids and I'm coming in there, this old, and I still got scars all over me from the accident. And when I finally got the courage to go up there and play, I think like within five weeks, or not five weeks, it was probably closer to like 10 weeks, but it felt really fast. I was on a record label and they're sending me to Atlanta to make an EP with like the dude from Black Label Society. So you played the guitar beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always played guitar and just a little bit, but I, I just played chords. I'm a little bit better now. <laughs> if you play three chords, you can play every uh, Taylor Swift song ever. Hey, but you know what? She She's making a great living, winning Grammys. Uh, you don't need a whole lot, but, you know, it's amazing how catchy they can be. It's also uh, like uh, church music. If you, if you go to the church with a guitar, it's going to be three or four chords. You can scattered. make a lot of good music with just a few chords. One, four, fives, minor pentatonics. Yeah. Willie Nelson said, if you play more than three chords, you're just showing off anyway. <laughs> that's, that's probably pretty accurate. But yeah, so once I started playing music, obviously I started writing music about the stuff that I know. When I wrote this song called Lessons Learned about Iraq and giving up, and for some reason it just, people liked it and it, it caught on. Then next thing you know, we're getting called to do radio promotions and then we're doing radio promotions and the, our stuff's getting played all across the Gulf Coast. And like, I think University of Alabama named us as their college favorite. And then we chart in Australia, like we were number 16 on some top 40 chart in Australia. They're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then we get this call to go play at the inauguration. And we were not even close to being at that level by then. Like we still were trying to get shows in bars in San Antonio. We had one lucky break with our first show. Like our first big show we played was South by Southwest, but that was that's, on the- That's just like a starter one, right? That's just like a, a little <laughs> well, thing. Well, it was, that was a strange deal. We we went to Atlanta to make our, our EP and we recorded with one of my favorite producers, Mike Froge, and everybody liked him. And, and for some reason, because we went to Atlanta, they they just assumed that we were an Atlanta band. So Atlanta had a stage at South by Southwest to choose Atlanta so they could show all their Atlanta talent. And they just sent us. And we just didn't tell them until after we played that we were from San Antonio. It's a minor detail. That's right. So so how did you get from Fayetteville to San Antonio? Well, I'm from San Antonio. And when I got out of the military, I stayed in Fayetteville for a while. As so many do. Yeah. And and then I ended up getting getting offered a job on a TV show in Kentucky. And I, so I went to Kentucky and that show imploded on itself because yeah, I'm sure you talked to a bunch of media folks and entertainment folks. There's a lot People, of egos. A lot of, a lot of beginnings of yeah. shows and they don't go very far sometimes. Yeah. And I've just been really blessed that the people that I've been working with in the last few years have just all been the same mission. Because I could tell you, like I, the main thing I started, we went and played that in the inaugural event and I met Justin Roberts at that inaugural event. And you've talked to him before. He was doing the invocation and we were given the, we were playing. We were the only band that played. I think there was another band that was supposed to do it and they backed out when Hillary Clinton didn't win. And I, me and the guys were like, dude, it's the president. I don't care who it is. It's the president. Let's go. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a world uh, stage. Exa- exactly. Uh, and like ABC streamed it live on their YouTube channel. So we played a cover song and they muted it after that. I was like, oh, you guys have enough money to pay the licensing fees. But uh, we started talking and both of us were dudes that we, when we were in combat, we weren't there to kill you. We were not there to hurt anybody. We're there to help. Chappie, Justin, he's there to give them comfort. And I'm there in case they get hurt and to give them comfort to know that if if they get hurt, someone's there to help them. And so we kind of had the same 
sort of trauma in our brains of the stuff that we saw, trying to help and being helpless. And then being helped, having to do the, the stuff in the most high pressure situations and riding that adrenaline rush and, and that serotonin just to coming back to nothing. And, and so I we think started, that's the hardest part though, isn't it? Well, yeah. You know, it's like we were super important and then all of a sudden we're not. And so we started talking we, we said, we need routine. So let's nine o'clock was work call when we we're in the military. Let's just call it, just call each other in the morning, every morning at nine. Even if we're just saying, how you doing, man? Or I had a bad day or I've got this, I'm, I'm just getting breakfast. I just want to check in. So we did that for like three years, two years, three years. It's been three years now. We did that for like two years. And we just, because we did that, we started learning a lot about each other, right? So we developed like a legitimate friendship. So he came down to Texas to visit, brought his family down here. Then Hurricane Laura, and we talked about doing the show together because we wanted to still be helpers. So what are we going to do? Let's find people who are doing good stuff. We'll do an episode about them and give them all the money from the episode. And uh, we're like, that's great. All right, we'll start it maybe in March or April. Perfect. And then the hurricane came and smashed Lake Charles said, y'all need to start it now. And because the first thing that we did was disaster relief and me and Chappie were both infantry guys. We're not afraid to sleep in the dirt or to go walking around where there's no wireless internet. So like it actually felt we were really comfortable. And just like anywhere else, when you find when something really bad happens, there's always heroes that come up to the front. So like when bad things happen, heroes step up. And so we found those heroes and we filmed them doing, and some of those heroes were was surprising, like uh, McDonald's. One of the McDonald's, the, the GM at the McDonald's, he actually had employees staying at his house and they were going back and working at the McDonald's, but they weren't going so they could sell food. They were going and making all the stuff that they could and then just out and handing it, just handing out bags of, Here's a burger and fries and a drink, burger and fries and a drink. Just whoever came by, it didn't matter. How many do you need? I got four kids at home. Here's four bags of burgers and fries and chips. No questions asked. And you would have a general surgeon handing out scoops of spaghetti next to a guy that worked at the 7-Eleven. And it was an awesome sight to see. It's amazing, man. So you guys got started. Now, let's back up a little bit. Tell us, who is Chappie and how did you meet him? Chappie is... His name's Justin Roberts. He's a uh, theatrical film director. He, he directed, produced No Greater Love, which is on Amazon Prime. Great, hard to watch documentary because it's gut wrenching. Won a bunch of awards. He was a chaplain in the 327. I was a medic in the 325, which is a sister battalion, but he was in the 101st and we were 82nd. And he was a chaplain that was given the invocation at the inaugural event that my band played at. And we just started talking and we just became friends. So at what point did you start the band? Now it's three beards, but you only have one beard. So well, how did that come out? Well, now folks that don't know, he Hank has a huge beard and has these rubber bands straining as far as they can to hold it all in, but it's still one beard. Hey, I did a podcast with the, the Dynasty guys, Phil Robertson and Jace Robertson, and they spent about the first maybe 10 minutes talking about my beard. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you know, if you've arrived from the D Dynasty guys, you're like on air complimenting you about your beard. Yeah. And, then, and actually, Julian, the drummer, my drummer, Julian Menchaca, he's retired military. John Eric Delazerta, 
combat marine. He's got a beard. Well, see, they uh, added those later because it was just you and oh, another yeah. guy originally. They added them later because... Because it's three beards. You got to have beards if you're in a band called Three Beards. Well, there's four of us, man. Ah. <laughs> but, but it makes sense because there used to be five. I always say, look, man, numbers are hard. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys started this band. You've been playing the inauguration. You played Austin Southwest. Uh, we played we played a show with Snoop Dogg in 2019. And that uh, must have been insane. It was actually crazy because it, it was Snoop Dogg was the main headline guy, right? But it was also like Method Man and Red Man and Wu Tang Clan and stuff, because Method Man, I guess, is Wu Tang Clan, right? And then it's like also a bunch of bands that I listen to, like Capital Cities, Cold War Kids. But it was awesome. We played with Andre Simone. And I don't know if you know Andre Simone, Prince and the New Revolution. Well, Andre Simone was the one that wrote half of the songs with Prince. They were the songwriters in that band. But we played with him and there were like five, four bands, five bands, four bands. And the first two bands got 20 minutes and then us and Andre Simone got an hour, hour and 15 minutes, right? They said, you guys play as long as you want. So, but that was cool just to be on the same stage with that type type of guy, like rock and roll hall of fame guy, I would think. Uh, so I'm but, a little confused. Yeah. You, you were a special ed teacher, football coach, yeah, life sucks. You wreck your car, trying to kill yourself. You have a assistant person as you recover. She drags you to the concerts and the shows that's happening, the music scene down Fayetteville. And then all of a sudden, you're playing. Yeah. All right, where did you get the confidence? Now I'm just going to go up on stage and play. Well, it wasn't when it first started. I was terrified because I would go and and there it was I would she'd take me to open mics because she'd hear me playing at the house she would be like oh and she'd always say oh my god you don't suck oh my god you don't <laughs> suck you know like I guess she expected me to because back then I always wore all the military shirts and I always wore the veteran like and I still I don't have any problem with that but I try not to wear it as much on my sleeves because it's, it's already not down. your identity anymore exactly and people already know that I did that stuff. But yeah, she took me out there and I didn't want to get on stage because those guys would go up there and they'd be 20 and they'd be great. And then one day I decided, you know what? I want to go. I'm going to play it. There's like maybe four or five people here. There weren't as many people, so I wasn't as afraid. And I played like Fire and Rain or something. And everybody was like, holy crap. And they were, came and gave me so much positive reinforcement that I wanted to play the next time. And then after a while... I was in a band and we had some really fluky stuff. Our producer, Chris Smith, Frenchie Smith, awesome uh, producer for uh, or the band. He told me that me and John are like Cheech and Chong because stuff that happens to us doesn't happen to real pe to people in real life, but it just keeps happening over and over and over and over again. And I think it's because I just, because we went out there and did it. And that's kind of the whole thing. It, I feel like I've got a purpose now with do good. I'm back. I have a mission and I know that we have a strong veteran following. And I know that some of the songs have impacted veterans enough that they've reached out to me like lessons learned. I've had people tell me that song saved their life, which is amazing. So where in the world do you get the, the, songs to play i know a lot of bands that first start they do a lot of cover music or they try to mimic a lot of the bands and and influences and then you must have started your own music i just listened to songs on the radio change the key and the words no i'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> no. you uh, wouldn't be the first <laughs> no i'm kind of a a folk folksy guy i would have been a folk singer if i hadn't gotten the studio with mike froge first i went from going in there expecting to be simon and garfunkel to having a guy that played drums in Zach Wilde's band playing drums on my record. 
So how do you make the sauce? Right. That's right. That's right. Sometimes, and now it's different now. Now I'm familiar enough with the guitar neck that I just, hey, what do I feel like? Okay, I'm going to play what something with a mood, that mood. You can find the, the different chord progressions that... I mean, you can Google it. Like I want something sad. Okay, well, that's going to be this to this to this. But most of the time, the last, a lot of songs in this record was because a girl hurt my feelings, made me sad. And so I would obsess about that and I would write stuff down. Then I would start playing something that was kind of in that mood. And then next thing you know, I've got five or six chord verse with the chorus. But then I got me, my folksy self. Julian is for sure a rock and roll metal drummer. John is a metal guy, but he plays it like 70s type stuff. Swedish punk rock metal or? No, like like 70s rock. The stuff that was hardcore okay. back in the 70s. The Eagles, that was rock and roll lead guitar. But he, John is actually a, one of the better guitar players that I've ever met. He can play so fast and he knows the names of the scales and the modes and he can tell you the triads and stuff. But he also is a good enough guitar player that when we're playing our songs, he doesn't. He plays whatever the song's asking for. And we've got four guys that are all putting four different parts into the song. The last one I brought to the studio, I was like, man, I think this should be just an acoustic part because I can't figure out what you guys would do that would take, that would add to the song. And by the time we left, it was this giant rock song with an, a killer drum part that was perfect because Julian's a great drummer. And John's like John's guitar that he plays just grabs you by the ear. And our bass player, Xavier, he got it all in one take. So I'm so lucky with the dudes that I got that I get to work with. When those guys are all about the the show do good with me and Chappie. And the show is all about the band. So it's like win-win. It's awesome. And then now we don't have to pay for music. Because I, I just, here you go, man. Other people want to hear it and they, they pay you to play it instead of you right. scrounging the little bits and pieces that you can to pick up a new pedal or whatever, guitar. Anybody well, I, who's ever been in a, in a band is always scrounging for, for the latest, greatest for the next show. I can tell you, I have a guitar endorsement with Delaney Guitars. Delaney Guitars are uh, awesome. I just got uh, my first, my prototype. He's making a Hank Barb Signature Series guitar. I got the prototype and it's a, a semi hollow body. It's got piezo pickups and it's awesome. Like every one of the strings is individually mic'd up so I can play it like an acoustic guitar. But then it's got a couple of the Delaney pickups in it too. But this is my guitar to, to play. And as soon as I get feedback, he's going to make the guitar and give me that. So I'll have another guitar. And he's got, I just really love Delaney guitars, man. Delaney Guitars is not sponsoring this podcast, but if you guys are listening, just reach out. We will take care of that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm just excited, man. And I'm also, I have some PTSD and TBI issues that I still deal with. They tend not to go away. We do right. talk to a lot of people that do research, and we talked a little just recently with the Brain Bank, where people are donating their brains for, for TBI and, and CTE research. But right now, there's not a lot of research. In fact, until about 2006, everybody thought it was a bunch of malarkey. Right, yeah. That TBI was really a thing. Well, I remember I got hurt on a jump when I was in division. And I, I remember sweeping the floor in the aid station. And then I remember sitting at the foot of the bed. And Colonel Rodriguez, our brigade commander, is there in my hospital room. And I'm looking at him. And he says, do you know why you're here, Airborne? And I was like, 
I looked at myself and I had camo still on my hands and I'm obviously in the hospital. I was like, well, I'm guessing I got hurt in the field or on a jump. And he said, he said, yeah, you got hurt on a jump. And I was like, well, does my wife know I'm here? He said, you were talking to your wife when I walked in the room, <laughs> right? And so they put me on, back then they called it closed head wounds. And they put me on closed head wound protocol. And RPA at the time, like you said, people thought it was malarkey. RPA at the time, because they said I couldn't jump for three months. And he said he could jump next week. And so they started manifesting me for jumps again. Anyway, TBI, right? But one of the things that helped me was I, I kind of learned, I have, sometimes will have inappropriate emotional responses to things, but I've learned to kind of take a step back and my, my brain kind of says, hey, is this you or is this just a manifestation of your injury? And I give myself like little benchmarks. Is this still this? Is this still this? Then yes, you're fine. Is it an appropriate response if it wasn't me? Right, exactly. And, and I'm also super, super lucky and blessed that my tribe understands me. Like my girlfriend works with people who have trauma, you know, emotional trauma and relationship trauma. My best friend and business partner is a chaplain and licensed counselor that I get to talk to for free every day. In fact, he gives me checks because of what we do together. You know what I mean? Like he's, because he's the more organized business. I'm just, I'm really lucky. I kind of fell into that situation and that, but that comes with finding purpose and your tribe. If you find your purpose, you're going to find your tribe on that same. I always tell the guys in the band, like our motto is move to the sound of the guns, man. If you hear people making noise over here, that's where you want to be because we want to be making noise too. It's the same thing. Find your tribe after you find your purpose. And that's something that so many folks have a hard time doing is finding your purpose. And that's what I love about your story. I mean, you were down and out. I mean, things were probably as bleak as they can be. Tried something new. Put yourself out there. And you hear this a lot. And I think it's a true statement. You make your own luck. Mm -hmm. You can't be there and win if you're not there. You got to show up on the field, just like in football. You cannot win if you don't show up. And you got to find victories. Like, even small victories are victories. And if you're looking for, hey, me and Chappie call it low-hanging fruit, right? We've got to get here. That's the feast. But right now, we can get this stuff right here. And the more you start moving, the more the bigger things become low-hanging fruit. We're talking to some billion-dollar companies. Yes, and small successes make big wins. I'm t little things make big things for sure. And it, like, we were... <laughs> And we're dependent as far as for our show, uh, Do Good. We're dependent on our corporate sponsors, right? Because we give away all the money that we make. If we're talking to Mr. Bicycle Guy over here and it, this gets 20 million views and YouTube sends us you know, 30,000, whatever, right? Well, it's going, instead of coming to us, it's going to the United Way of Southwest Louisiana and they're sending it to whoever we, for that, because they have the built-in kind of infrastructure in their business to do it. Right. And that, that is so awesome. So let's talk about Do Good just for a moment. What is it? How do I find it? You can go and, and find us on Facebook, Instagram. I think we have a TikTok. I'm lucky I don't have to work that stuff. Uh, but we have a YouTube channel. And you can go to the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is Do Good Army. And you'll see me and Chappie, our ugly mug, big bearded guy with the dreadlock hanging out the bottom of it. And what we do is we find people doing good. And our goal is to do good for those who do good. And we, look at, we looked at what was going on in the world and we thought, how can people help if they don't know what's going on, number one? And the other thing, how can they help 
because right now everybody was struggling because of, you know, COVID and the election. And so it was just, it was a, a, just a big storm going on. And then we figured out YouTube <laughs> pays people for every stream. Facebook pays people for every stream and even the music stuff. So what we're doing now is we're having everybody team up and we're getting corporate sponsors that are helping us to promote it. That forces those big companies to send checks to people like Miss Christine and Lake Charles, people like the the Cajun Navy volunteers. And the good thing is it's, we don't have to do it because I'm terrified of money. We have the United Way, which is one of the most trusted nonprofits. We're, we work with CoreLogic, like we have access to some of the best scientists in the world. And we ask a question and, and they answer us and they answer us on video so we can put it on the show. But Do Good, is, it's on YouTube. Go check it out on YouTube, Facebook, dogoodarmy.com. So if Do folks good. haven't heard, I'm going to switch this a little bit back to Three Beards. <laughs> Website, YouTube, just search Three Beards, put it in quotes, you're going to find you. But yeah, if you go to Google and type in Hank Barb Three Beards or just Three Beards Band, it'll pop up everywhere. We're on Spotify, Pandora, anywhere that you stream music, you can find us, YouTube. Uh, we're getting ready to make a record. We're uh, making a record and it's uh, it's actually a concept album. It's called The Ballad of Bad Luck and we're making a movie about it with it too. I love uh, the name. Yeah, man. It's great. It's we're, it's a rock and roll ballad. It's a rock opera. But we're making a movie just because me and Chappie were like, it'd be fun to make a musical. Let's make a rock and roll like electric guitars and drums, and let's set it in 1870. So that just what, sounds insane. Blow your mind type thing. Telling you, it's gonna the be ballad great, of man. bad luck. I'm gonna have to keep a lookout for it. And folks, if you're listening, go check it out. It's probably gonna be another the way the music uh, probably world is. November, probably yeah. November. November, uh, just in time for November. Christmas. That's right. And do good, man. I'm really lucky that I get to be a part of all the things that I get to be a part of. Hank, I, I want to go back to one thing, and this is the biggest takeaway. I think a lot of folks that were in your shoes are having trouble now, and you mentioned it, and, and it's a really good point. And I talk to folks all the time. I, I work for the government. I deal with the military. I help the Army every day. When you leave service, that's what you did, not who you are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks, especially if they were really proud of what they did or their rank or whatever it was, there's a lot to be proud about, but that's what you did. It's not who you are. And some people have a hard time hanging it up. When you talked about like I was wearing the military garb and, and when you switched, that's when a lot of things changed. Yeah, for sure. It was almost like a reminder. I do have... We, we lost one of one of uh, our, the aircraft that was with us in our when we were up with the third ID headquarters, and it and it killed seven people, and I had to go pick those guys up, and I've got those names on me, and and I'm glad I do because every once in a while I look down, but then sometimes I look down and I'm having a great day, and I look down and then I'm guilty. I feel guilty as hell. You know, I'm like, and I used to like my my car was just covered, and I remember at one point. And this was just how, and part of it too was the VA was still learning about mental health and how to deal with it and how to medicate it when I got out or, or when they first started dealing with me. And some of the medications that they gave me get, had the opposite effect of what they should have, which I think that they're a lot better now. They've been dealing with it, but I'm still, I don't know enough to comment on it. I, I just know that medicine, people tend to learn when they make mistakes and that was the common theme was they over-medicated a lot of people back then. But I remember I had a sticker on the back of my truck that said infidel. I get it. I was still angry. But what's the purpose of that besides to, to upset someone when they see it? 
you know what I mean? And that was kind of what I started finding out that, and those were the people that I was around was people that were trying to instigate stuff all the time because they, they wanted conflict because they weren't having any conflict. They weren't having to come in and do any conflict resolution stuff because civilians don't want to fight with you all the time. And you might see them on the news. Well, don't go to those places, stay home. They're not going to come to your house, dude. You're fine. But that, but I was one of those guys. And once I sort of took that stuff off and kind of separated myself a little bit from that, it got better. That, that doesn't mean that I'm not like super proud of what I've done. And that doesn't mean that I'm not super proud to be an American and I love America. But those but, are two different things. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what a lot of folks I know, and that's what I hope people hear is, yeah, you got to be proud of what you did and proud of your service, proud of your country, all those things. But it's not your entire identity, especially right. when you're not in service anymore. Right. Because it's a crutch and then it becomes a handicap because you're trying to be all those things that you're not anymore. Right. You're no longer an infantryman. You're the AC repair guy. And you had a wonderful service, but be the best AC guy or the best musician or whatever it is you're doing in life. Be proud of that, but that's not your identity. Right. That's that's hard because it's hard to move that mental model until you do and realize, hey, I'm in a new change, new status of life. Yes. And for, for me, at least, and I know it's a little different because of the things that I do for a living, but I would always... I'm amazingly grateful that I get to do it. It's not lost on me. And it's also, I, I know that it's because of a lot of other people, which goes back to that whole tribe thing. The people that you surround yourself with are going to be the people that you become. And if you surround yourself with people who are mad all the time, then you're just going to be mad all the time. So yeah, finding that tribe, finding your purpose. Sounds like you have a wonderful purpose in, in, in the three beards and do good. What a change, what a radical change and a wonderful story about really redemption and understanding and, and finding a way forward and, and recognizing the gift that we have in life. We've been talking with Hank Barb. He's the uh, founder and one of the singers with Three Beard. Go listen to the show, do good. It's on YouTube. It's an amazing, I've caught a few episodes. And I'm like, oh, that is just a really cool thing, especially with a pandemic uh, where life sucks. Everybody is locked in and, and you're out finding people doing good, which I, is amazing. Well, it was really tough because of what was going on in the world, you know? So it was, you had to be careful, but it was almost impossible because people didn't know where they were going to get water. You think about, oh, I'm hungry. No, you need to drink water. It was August. And so it was a heat wave. There's no water, electricity. One thing that I can say is I learned it's okay to ask for help if you need help. That's a huge takeaway right there. Yeah, and, and because even the people who are heroic were still going sometimes and having to stay at somebody else's house with, their, some, with bring their family someplace else. It's okay to ask for help. It doesn't make anybody less of anything. If anything, if you're appropriate when you ask for help, it'll make your life easier and put you in a position that you can help other people too. And don't wait until it's a chaos or a critical incident <laughs> to ask for help. You don't have to wait for a hurricane. You don't have to wait for the disasters to strike. You can do that asking for help way before and you're going to have a much better outcome. We've been talking with Hank Barb with Three Beards and Do Good. Hank, I always ask this before I end the show. What should I have asked you about but didn't? I will tell you, just to go back to say it's okay to ask for help. My biggest thing is that uh, I really, really 
thought I was doing the right thing, trying to hurt myself. Like I thought I was doing good things for other people. It was just my brain wasn't right. And I have a great, fantastic relationship with my kids and, and with, with my ex-wife. She's a professor at K-State. But because I lived and I, I asked for help when I got when I woke up, I was just glad to be alive. And I just wanted to do everything I could to stay alive. Those are some powerful words, Hank. And thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. I'm going to go check it out. I'm waiting for the new uh, album to drop in November and, and, and the musical set in the 1870s. I don't know how yeah. that's going to be, but it's I'm going to have to funny. try to picture it. It's going to be funny. That's I just want to I just want to have a good time, man. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on the show. And thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. And now let's listen to Hank Barbs and Three Beards, Lessons Learned. Yeah, but I still can't find 
Folks, Tyler here at Coming Home Well. I wanted to give a big shout out to our sponsor, BetterHelp, for sponsoring our podcast. As a veteran-related podcast, we cover a lot of sensitive topics and difficult issues that our military service members face when they return home from war. One of the biggest challenges vets often face is the isolation of today's culture. Nine out of ten times, we prefer just to stay home. Maneuvering through all the chaos in today's society can be debilitating. So reaching out to someone who is qualified to help can be a starting point in moving forward. And that's why I'm proud to announce our connection with BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P.com. BetterHelp.com is one of the leaders in online counseling and will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. So that's a great opportunity to talk to someone and you don't even have to leave your own couch to go sit on someone else's. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you can be connected to a therapist in under 48 hours. If you're not comfortable talking over the phone, you could start by texting. They have video chat options, real time options, and you can meet weekly at the discretion of the counselor. Now, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. It is someone who's trained in handling veterans' issues and can help you tackle that mountains of struggles together rather than alone. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you'll be automatically put in for a discount code of 10% off of your first month of therapy. If you don't see the 10% put on automatically, just put in the discount code coming home well, as this will also get your 10% off. If you're experiencing financial hardships, let them know. There is financial aid available in the form of an extra discount. Again, that is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com backslash coming home well, all one word. They are great at what they do, and what they do is help us veterans to come home well. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.